Hi, this is Cardi. Hi, this is Ali. And welcome back to another episode of Creative Corporates, a podcast on career conversations for those starting out, switching out, and anything in between. Today, we're excited to have Mia Valia, the CEO of One Earth Marketing. Her mission here is to advance action for social issues through targeted social media ads. She worked across the world, helping reduce plastic in India, support bushfire recovery in Australia, and now focuses on helping ethical brands grow their mission on social media. Welcome to the podcast, Media. So much to unpack. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and share my mission for the world. And we're so excited to have you, Mia. So I'm keen to give you the floor and in your own words, really explain how did One Earth Marketing really get started? Yeah, One Earth Marketing was a bit of a passion project to start off with. It's very much like a baby when you're growing a business. You um, you clothe it in the best way and you love it and you put your time and attention into it. And it started when I was living in India. I was working over there trying to alleviate plastic pollution and poverty with an incredible company called Plastics for Change. And I just got so inspired by the way that marketing and social media can be used to create social change. A lot of the time, brands won't make an impact without some sort of consumer push towards it. And they, without marketing, they can't communicate their issues. They can't communicate the causes that they support. So as soon as you marry marketing and social media with a social cause, that's when the real action starts to happen. It's kind of fascinating. They think, oh, I'll just go and collect plastic by myself or I'll go and plant a tree. But the the fuel behind social media, you can reach millions of people through one Facebook post. It's just quite remarkable. And that was when I realized that I don't think I'm going to be um, someone working in a food van or someone planting trees. I think I'm going to be an absolute keyboard warrior and reaching thousands of people with social media campaigns instead. I thought that was the real circle of influence I could have and that was where my skills lay so One Earth Marketing was born and it's been a epic journey ever since. I love that and what I particularly love about that Mia is you know we spend so much time online anyway I think particularly during lockdown my screen time was definitely significantly higher than it was previously and so this idea that you can really go okay well people are spending so much time on these platforms and there's people who you know, we're also stuck in here. We want those feel-good stories. We want to see how you can actually make a difference. I think one of the key questions a lot of people might have when they think about, you know, social marketing, how does that really differ when you're thinking about commercial marketing, when you're marketing towards a private enterprise? Okay. I love, first of all, that you mentioned screen time because I would take everyone, whether you're a brand or a person just listening to this, to have a look at your screen time and then map that out in accordance with years of your life. So I found out um, last year that my screen time on social media, I was up to about four hours on social media a day, meant that I was going to have five years of my life. I like mapped it out across a week, five years of my life on social media. Wow. So if you live till 80 or something, five years of your life looking at a screen, looking at a phone. And you think about that in terms of what am I actually looking at? You know, I'm consuming all this information. I'm I'm really using up my my mind and my consciousness to consume information that might may or may not be good for me. So 
in the same way that we're going to the gym and we're trying to be healthy, you really need to um, make sure that your social media consumption is healthy as well. That could be um, for myself. I know I shouldn't be saying this, but I actually delete social media from Monday to Friday. I delete the apps off my phone so I'm not um, mindlessly scrolling and then I upload it on the weekend. So that's been really helpful to me. But if you love social media, I would recommend culling certain brands that don't bring you joy, um, really following things that fuel you in a good way, starting to, um, similar to how you get healthy in the gym, start start making sure your social media channels are at a healthy state. And then I'd say on the other side for brands, if you're getting five years of someone's life on social media, the average is actually two years, then you should be promoting good causes. You shouldn't be manipulating people. You should be making sure that um, that person's consciousness is safe and in in a good place. Um, we hold a massive responsibility, and because it's a new strain in the world, it's a new it's a new discipline. There's not a lot of rules around that, but I think as marketers, as social media people, we hold too much power and we need to take it into our own hands to make sure that we're creating a safe space for people's consciousness online. So that was, that's what I'd definitely say about screen time. And then in terms of how ethical marketing and traditional marketing differs, there's a lot of, there's a lot of greenwashing and talk about, you know, ethical marketing and being compliant. And I think it's sometimes a bit of uh, bullshit sometimes because People are trying to be good and they're trying to look good online and have great CSR projects. But I think something really simple just to just to pair it back that everyone can start doing on their social media is starting to market with their mission. So instead of being like, I'm marketing to sell a product, I'm marketing to um, look a certain way or to appear a certain way online, you strip it all back to what is your mission? What are you trying to do that's good for the world? And a painter might be trying to um, paint houses that families can live in and feel joyful and feel happy to wake up in their homes every day. Someone working to protect the ocean might be to reduce plastic in the ocean so that sea animals can thrive. So if you market with that mission and if that's like your core driver of your messaging, you're not going to go down the path of um, manipulating people to to donate to you or trying to get more money out of people or trying to, yeah, like look, look a different way online. You're going to have a real North star with your marketing. And then that North star is where the best marketing happens. It's where the best communities are formed. It's where all the good stuff happens in social media. And um, yeah, definitely not what people start with. They start with like, what is a hack I can use to run this Facebook ad? Like how do I in that person's attention or like mm. you know, when is the exact moment where they're feeling the most vulnerable and then that's when I can get the yeah. really big one um, wild it is and I think you know a lot of what we do here in particular we're really focused on that why I think anyone who's also working on a side project as well like you're not doing it you know just to get paid because then you could just you know focus on your day job and so what I love a lot about this is when you really come from that why, it's also not only helpful for your branding and how you connect, it's also making sure that the people you're connecting with, you're going to have a stronger connection. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because you ultimately want to have that rapport and because it is a lot of time and you want to say like if it's really an extension of not just capturing their attention but also making sure you're, you're helping them navigate towards 
a cause or brand that's aligned to what they care about, then everyone's really winning. And those five years are definitely going to be well spent. Yeah, yeah. The good news is the average human is two years spent on social media. So that's good for some people, but still two years is a really long time. Um, People can get really caught up in ethics. You type into ethics and social media into Google and it's quite overwhelming. There's a bunch of papers and PDFs and people greenwashing and people saying a lot of different things, but ethical marketing is a different thing to every person. People have different values and different mission for the world, but if you really uh, sink your teeth into what your mission is and how that can help people and spread out from there, that's um, a really, really great place to start. Yeah, so I'm hearing a lot about ways to, you know, social media detox, Mm. um, but also then the flip side of why it's so important to make sure that when you are engaging in social media, for it to be really meaningful and it's a way for you to get in the hands or get in front of the faces of more people as opposed to, for example, your traditional physical flyers mm. where it comes down to how many hands you're physically getting in touch with. Mm. And so you've actually just got so much more leverage to play with. But in saying that when you talk about screen time and time well spent, it's about, well, then how do you get your message across in a way that's genuine, effective, posting at the right time or, you know, in whatever, I guess, medium that is. Um, It's how you do that in the most authentic way possible. And so obviously we've talked about starting with your mission, but I guess how do you then analyse how well something's going to be received? Because to some extent there is a bit of trial and error that you need to do, but when we get someone, you know, and engage someone like you on board, how do you come in and go, that's, you know, that's something that's well received? Is that based on, for example, your experience testing that with other organizations? I love this question. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit about how, say, for instance, if you had a brand or if you were a social media manager, how you actually get from that point of, all right, I know my mission, I know what I want to do, good in the world. And then you just hear silence. It's like, okay, all right, now I need marketing. So what what I would start off with is if I was talking to a client, I would first of all talk to them around, what is your mission? What good do you want to do in the world? And then the next stage of that is how we can turn that into some sort of extremely appealing offer that's just no one can resist. So if someone came up to you and if they were like, you can save a sea turtle and all you have to do is just like take a sip of this water and as long as the water isn't poisonous or something. So you just, you make it a really easy, really easy um, offer and just like super compelling. Um, And then the next stage of that is turning that offer into something like a social media ad where it can reach a lot of people. So within that, you've got your very compelling offer and then you need to find a creative that looks almost like a native Uh, social media posts. So when you run ads and you look through your ads, people are so conscious now, they're just flicking over them like as fast as possible. You know, when you see as soon as a YouTube ad ends, you like skip ad and um, you flick over social media ads. But if you create um, a photo or a video that looks very native to the social media platform, say you're on Pinterest and it looks like a beautiful dress or you're on Instagram and it looks like um, someone's just putting on their makeup in the morning, when you see that and it just looks like your friend had posted it, that's called native advertising or native social media. 
So you've got your compelling offer, you've got your native post that looks very natural, and then you create copy that's very human, very much focused on solving someone's problem or connecting them to you um, and telling a bit of a story. So those three elements together, that's a, a winning social media ad. And then you put them through a lead nurture campaign where I don't know if you guys have seen the marketing funnel, but um, oh, the marketing pyramid where it's like 3% of people are buying now and then there's like a whole range of people that aren't actually focused on buying or aren't focused on making a move just then. So that's the part where you need to sort of nurture people and provide them with helpful content, introduce them into your community, bring them in with open arms. And then throughout that process, you've got really good leads who understand you, you understand them, you're providing them with a lot of value. And right at the end of that journey, they might think, okay, this is when I want to really jump ship. I really want to make this decision. But going into it with some really crappy 25% off ad and thinking that everyone's going to go for it. It's just not how people work. We, we, um, we're such savvy online shoppers, consumers at the moment, and we want to be part of something more, more than us. We want to be part of a community. We want to give back. But if that's pushed upon us, if someone just like throws themselves on us and says, buy right now, it's not going to work. But if someone invites you in, brings you into their community, brings you into um, what they're doing and what their story is. Um, That's like really incredible place to play around in, especially with uh, marketing. And what I love about that, Mia, is that's so important when I think about social causes and charities. A bit of research I'm doing for a project at the moment is really looking at the way in which, and I can totally appreciate what we talked about earlier, you create those advertising campaigns that try traditional. It's almost saying, You've kind of got to almost have a hook that's that real harsh emotions like guilt or fear um, because you you need that person for that donation, right? Mm. And why that's really difficult, I imagine, is because you've only got that limited budget in a lot of these places where they go, well, I haven't really tested this out before. I'll spring a little bit of cash on it and see how it goes. And then they might then not be engaging with someone like yourself, maybe someone who just goes, well, off the shelf for 50 bucks, we can create something like this or on the cost. But in terms of, I think, how have charities really and social causes really responded to that? Is that something that you've seen? They've gone, yep, we totally get what's on board. We see that. Or is it a bit of an education piece as well? I love this question. So the coolest thing about social media marketing and the reason why it's such a fantastic thing for charities to start picking up is because traditional advertising, when you're posting an ad um, on a TV screen, you have to get a whole film career and it's like this big production. You need to print off flyers. You need to do all this stuff. Social media is fascinating because you can just basically, okay, how much is a donor worth? Maybe they might donate $200. You can set up this campaign. So your cost per donor is say $10 And every time you get a $10 conversion, you get $200 back. So it's sort of like sometimes you can get it to a point where it's a bit like an ATM. It's only in wonderful situations, but sort of like an ATM where you put money in and you get money out of social social media. Mm. Whereas if you did that, you would never, if you did that with public relations or advertising or, or, um, or radio, it's really hard to see that direct um, comparison. 
Social media is the cheapest, easiest, quickest way to reach the most people for the smallest amount of money. So I, to for charities to ignore it is um is just is mind blowing to me. Um and I know that a lot of them are starting to move into that space, but yeah, once you get those three elements right of your offer, a really natural looking creative and really compelling copy, and you set that up in a way with the right audiences, you just you can keep on rinsing and repeating and having that campaign go in the background and growing your business and growing your mission. Um and I don't know where the hesitation comes in or why they're um why they're focusing on other other channels, but um I'm sure it won't be that way for very much longer. Yeah, and I think that's particularly important as we're seeing, you know, I don't even watch mainstream TV a lot. So I'm mm. all the spend that's going towards the traditional advertising, you're missing the real in, in this instance of charities, the emerging class of donors who are kind of mm. interested really philanthropic or want to give back but want to do that in a way that's at their fingertips because that's how they expect to do everything else yeah so Mia you know so much about social media before you started your own personal venture Mm. what were those key experiences that you really had that helped you you know be able to service your clients today yeah it's so funny um so I started off a quite corporate role um I was working at Ogilvy, which is an advertising agency and uh, doing work with Microsoft and Xbox. And that sort of taught me the base level of marketing and um, they were working at a very high level. I think early in my career, I was just, I knew that I loved marketing, but I just, I was always a little bit, um, I don't know, you're young, you're you're kind of bad at everything. (laughs) I wasn't, I didn't fully express myself um, when I was in the corporate world. And then I went overseas and started to work on little projects here and there. I was living in a village and I was living with the mayor of the village and his family and um, Mm -hmm. I was working like doing plastic projects and, um, yeah, just kind of felt that humanitarian heart come out and um, travelled around the world, worked on tonnes of different projects and then um, eventually found myself in India where I was uh, working in in on basically plastic dumps and and slums and different places and I just never felt it was strange for me I always felt very natural in those areas and I just felt like the the best version of myself would come out when I was giving back um the word giving back I don't really believe in either because I don't think it's about giving back I feel like it's about filling yourself up and becoming your becoming your truest self because humans we're really meant to be in community with others and we're meant to be supporting other people and helping other people and um what I really struggled with with in um corp- like live, working a corporate job and living in Sydney was I just felt like at the end of the day everyone shut their door and isolated themselves and watched Netflix or they like sort of became like they had to be a certain person at work and they couldn't really express themselves but when you're really living your truth and when you're really uh really honest about what you want to do it's just incredible I um I read this quote the other day that the your life doesn't happen to you it happens through you and when you really like push that push that out and and let let life happen through you it's it's really incredible so traveling it, it helps, but 
working overseas and um, and being being completely true to your own life's mission is uh, quite fascinating how things happen. So after after all that stuff happened, I had this like whoa, blow my mind experience about um, the mix between a social cause and my profession. I just ended up, yeah, so working with World Wild, Wildlife Fund on bushfire campaigns and then working in this disability tech startup to create more inclusive marketing. And you just, um, yeah, you find your intention and you um, once you have an intention, the universe knows what path to put you on and, and sort of brings that abundance through you. And, um, yeah, you, you're not just like, stabbing in the dark or trying to push through a corporate grind you're really able to um like create that clear path and have those gifts and abundance push you forward um yeah I'm sure you guys would feel the same with once you find that thing that you know you're good at and you know is helping people it's just things start to happen really organically um yeah it becomes a lot easier life becomes easy it's not it's not a slog can be really easy. That's awesome. Like what is really great about your story is it goes to show that where you are now, you're really happy because you're, you know, meeting, I guess you're being your true self in in, in the workspace and also outside of the workspace. But mm-hmm. where you started was really building a foundation, you know, even in the corporate space, mm. going, well, what are the fundamentals that I need and even if I've now worked out that that's just not for me, mm. you've then been able to pivot and go, well, now that's going to help me work out where I really want to be. Mm. And that channeled that energy and that drive to go, this is why One Earth Marketing is so important to me and really to also reach other people because that's a really clear differentiator, what it is that you do. Um, but then it also goes, I think where my next question is when you're working with those initial different industries, for example, on, you know, bushfires and, you know, all the others is were you engaging with them by learning, for example, the strategies for how to build a really good marketing sort of portfolio or was it more that you were executing, for example, the campaigns? And so over that period of time, those skills whilst you were learning technically on the job, that's what then allowed you to go solo in One Earth Marketing. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that question. You do sometimes have to take time, even though One Earth Marketing was the goal long term, you know, just because you didn't get there straight away, that the whole point is you were never supposed to. Oh, love this. It's so true because it, once you finish school, you think, I'm going to find my passion. I'm just going to find everything I want. And I'm, I'm 18 and I'm <laughs> living life. And you really, you really expect yourself just to get everything you want right away. I don't know why I, maybe it's our generation, but I just, I just kind of thought, but I know what I want. I know what my passion is. I know what my purpose is. Why isn't it happening mm-hmm. right away? And why don't I feel good about my um, decisions? Yeah. But honestly, I would have sucked being a social media business owner in my first year of first year out of out of university and it would have been a complete mess and I would have messed up a lot of clients projects but 
similar to a psychologist um, going through lots of life experience and having a lot of um, having a lot of different jobs before they start their own practice and learning from other people, they can give such fascinating, incredible, life-changing advice. But imagine if you had a psychologist that was 18 trying to give you that advice. The same with any sort of business. As you learn and you grow and you pick up new skills and you work for different companies, you might always in the back of your head think, hey, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm not in the right environment. But you need that. You honestly... Some people can dive straight into it and I would encourage if you really feel like you can to do that. But if you're in a full-time job and if you think, oh, this isn't for me, I know what I want to do, I I should be doing something different, you're probably in the right thing at that time. And and those struggles that you're facing, those are, oh, it's difficult, I don't want to do this process, I don't want to do that. It's a really important way to learn and grow and um, become better and then when the time is right you'll really know you get a bunch of hints it's sort of like you get all these like little people like little hints someone will ask you to do that your social media and then someone will ask you this and then people will start coming to you for the thing that you're interested in and the thing that you love and start asking you a bunch of questions of it and then that's when you start to know that all right maybe it's time maybe it's time to make that leap and when you do make the leap it's not like you're jumping off a mountain. You're actually just sort of stepping into a new thing and it feels a lot more natural and a lot less scary because you've got all this experience behind you. And then for people that are like ready to go and just pumped out, ready, ready, I would say that the best thing to do is join a community. It took me um, years and years to find mentors, but I don't think it's actually about finding one specific person and asking them more your questions and being like, quick, help me with my business. I think finding a community of people, like a networking group or, um, yeah, a, a group of even your friends that are really inspiring, that that group setting is super helpful and there's a ton of them in every city you go to. And there are a lot of these groups and you just need to Google it and find a group and just start talking to people and be inspired in that way because you don't have your own team. You don't have people to throw ideas off. So finding a networking group can be like your little, your little team and um, ask people questions. So, yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is the importance also of your environment, which we've spoken about before, the importance of mentors, but not pinning it down to one person. It's just Mm. everyone around you Mm. you needs to be bringing you to the next level. So, you know, you don't want to be the best person in the room. You want to see people that are doing more than you to inspire you to be challenged, to want to research more. Yeah, or even just to see like, oh, that is the logical next step or I know I'm going to be working towards that because you can see what that looks like. And it's, and I think you can get a lot of mentoring, not necessarily from like having a formal mentor as well. Like you said, like that community, right? You might just see someone or someone's talking about something you're like, wow, I never thought about it like that. So just being in those environments is really helpful. It is scary, I think, Yeah. when we're reflecting on it. They're, they're, you have to, you know, when you're in your, let's say you're 18 to 20 and you've always had that safe community of like the people who have always stayed with you. So you've kind of got to be a little bit brave and go, well, I need to find that next group of people. And if it is that whole values line, living the same purpose, you're going to find that connection that's a lot easier than like, you know, what do you do for work? And like, what, what kind of brunch spot do you like? You're connecting on that deeper level mm. that we've really spoken about before in terms of networking. Yeah. And so I hear from you, you know, the way that I guess that you initially got out of that early stage bubble was making the 
decision to actually travel. And that's what really got you out in the first place. Is that correct? Oh, a hundred percent. So every time something is happening, so I've always like, I've always liked working and traveling. So I don't like visiting a temple and, you know, doing touristy things. And I get, I get really bored of that really quickly. So every time something would happen in my life, not like good or bad, when I was trying to, um, like say I finished uni and I was like, okay, I need to start applying for jobs. But I just, you so you procrastinate so much about things that mean a lot to you. You're like, oh, I don't want to start. I don't, I don't want to be rejected from these roles. So I literally went to Bali and joined this stray dogs adoption center and was washing dogs and, and talking to tourists and taking these um, disabled dogs on walks. And I know it wasn't anything to do with my later career, but um, I just sort of got outside myself for a second, did a bit of volunteer work. And um, and yeah, and when you're outside of your head and when you're doing stuff for other people, that's when you can make way better decisions if you're stuck at home and thinking, oh, everything's so hard. And um, yeah, even in university, that whole work and travel thing was really prevalent. So I got this insane internship with um, Boost Mobile and they basically sent me all around Australia with these five five other uni students. They sent us skydiving and to um, snowboarding and they sent me to the Great Barrier Reef and all these really interesting things. And I just don't think it's as um, unattainable as people think. Everyone was like, what? You can travel and work. And it's, it's really not. It's really about what you once you once you really focus on something um, and once you talk about it and obsess over it and read up about it and get really into it, it's so bizarre how it becomes a magnet and you're just fully like <laughs> all these opportunities start coming to you. But you can never, um, yeah, you can never you can never find those opportunities if you're yeah if you're just stuck inside yourself and if you're, not, yeah. if you're not open to it yeah and also it's just that comfort zone right it's just that you've got to go out into the unfamiliar because you're also in that different mindset mm. so important there and so timely now I mean for me travel might be as simple as like being able to sit in the cafe now and it's mm. well and then that new experience so even more so now when we can combination of obviously international travel opening up now but also the fact that a lot of places you can work from anywhere. So if it's, you know, mm. doing a weekend somewhere or doing two weeks somewhere different, you can do that laptop living, which is a lot more accessible because um, it's not that barrier of I have to be in the office all the time. Um, one question I have for the group, we talked a lot about, you know, helping disabled dogs and that sounds incredible. Um, obviously with a lot of people I find there's so many causes out there and it's so difficult to really pinpoint, you know, which one you get a whole bunch of targeted marketing. It's is it the latest one you've seen. Um, so just a question for the group in terms of if you really think about the number one cause, the number one thing you're like, okay, if I had a million dollars tomorrow and I had to give it away, what would be, you know, and giving it away might also mean like I help and I work and I do all that to bring that to life. What would be the cause? that you would focus on? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really obsessed with plastic. Um, you can probably see from any of my social media channels or what I talk about. I find plastic is so fascinating because it's something like right now we have 
plastic earphones in, we're holding phones with a plastic case. It's so tangible. It's so around us and it's such a solvable problem. So if we just made sure that every bit of plastic, instead of it going into the earth, the ocean or being burnt, it just got recycled and kept on going around in a recycling chain for as long as possible, it we could literally solve this problem um, or start using different different a different product instead of plastic. We could literally solve it. And it's not everyone's like, ah, how do I not use plastic and what do I do? But oh man, it's crazy how we would be on the cusp of solving that if people just really um yeah put put their focus and attention into it. Yeah. And I think that's so true, right? Because if you look at obviously the pandemic, when everyone really came together, we're going to solve this one problem, a vaccine, it it became so much faster. And a lot of what the X Prize does in particular is get people to really focus on that with their ideas, skills that they have. Um, So I definitely agree. Am I going next? Yeah, go. Um, So mine would definitely be sub-niche, so it's women's economic empowerment. So in particular, I don't know, it's something that I really noticed, not necessarily growing up, but even recently, the way that we talk about money with women, the way that we talk about that is really different from how I feel like boys are taught about money and that whole idea of that real economic empowerment. It's not just saving, it could be investing and and the ongoing effect that that has. I'm sure there's been many studies done, you know, um, when they're giving out you know, funding, they say when you give it to a woman in a village, they actually pay as higher because it helps them educate and they'll pay it forward and build that. Um, and it's just a real passion of mine because it's not a difficult thing to solve. It All their solutions kind of exist, but it's that implementation that I feel like can, is really within grasp. Again, it's that focus and implementing it kind of everywhere mm. yeah no I love that I think mine's a bit different to all of yours yeah um but mine's really um in relation to children's music education I just wish I mean it's definitely something that's so tangible but it comes down to really at a government level implementing one framework that is then taken on board so that you start seeing a change and I think that's why you know you do need the benefit of people that do have that higher structure to go well this is what the current education system is missing Mm -hmm. and might I add it's missing a lot of other things even in terms of like financial education for say you know people that are just about to finish year 12 and ultimately actually what's you know part of what's prompted this podcast but also is giving people career advice on the reality of what actually happens after 18 when you're out on your own And so there's a huge, you know, like hole there that really needs to be filled, but really the most effective way um, and most equitable way for that to reach everyone is, you know, through a big framework from from government. But I've also realised that trying to do that on such a large level, you know, doesn't, you won't necessarily see the impact straight away. So if there's ways that you can take what you're passionate about on a smaller scale first to start doing it. So, you know, from our perspective, starting this podcast, you know, from your perspective, starting One Earth Marketing and going, well, this is a practical way to start changing the way that you use plastic or the way that you have conversations about certain things. The great thing is that, like you said before, 
people start to see the work that you do and they go, actually, they've got a point to make. They've been through this before. Actually, I want to jump on board. And slowly your community grows. And when it does get to an extent where people do see the noise you're trying to make, then the higher, you know, and bigger, I guess you could say, powers go, actually, there's something worthwhile going on there. Is there a way that we can invest in what you're doing? And you do get to have a a larger impact on people. And so, you know, it's exciting to know that even when you start small, there's opportunity for growth. Mm. It's just about planning for that and having the flexibility as well. Yeah, I love, I love both of your answers so much. And it's, it's like really so much about finding out what that one thing is that you're good with and doing that cross, cross circle, circular thing where you, in one circle, it's what you're good at. And then in the other circle, it's what the world needs. And then that little space in between is where you can make the most impact. Yeah. yeah, I think as a consultant, that's how Venn diagrams, which we live and die. Yeah. Um, and, and like, what is the circle? It's always a different part. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, exactly right. So I think everyone's really got something. And I understand, Mia, something you're working on coming up as well as a social media charity program. Mm. Soon as well. So for people who are thinking, you know, I really know about a cause that I care about or I'm, in, I'm a charity and I'm interested in that, can you give us a bit more information about that? Yeah, so this is something that I'm slowly ticking away in the background. I basically want to provide micro grants to a different cause every month and help them grow one specific part of their social media. So they could want to grow their followers. They could want to grow leads through Facebook ads. But I'm slowly putting together small micro grants uh, for different businesses and once you give someone a social media grant, it's so different to just giving them money and they spend it on different things. You give them the ability for influence and an audience. So if they have more followers, that means that they have more people that support their cause. If they have more leads, that means that they have more people who can get behind them and accelerate their mission forward. And I personally think it's one of the most powerful things to give someone is um, attention to their cause. Because if they don't have that, it's they can do all this incredible work, be such do-gooders, really try to support people, but it's on such a small scale. So, yeah, these micro-grants, um, it's hopefully coming in the next couple of months. Um, but, yeah, but for now it's even just um, great to be able to work with ethical brands and, you know, double their growth through social media or double their leads Um so we're starting off with that and then slowly we'll be expanding it out to new causes. So I'm open. If, if anyone sees great causes, even the both that you spoke about, I'm already like my brain is ticking away about how do we help. Um, but, yeah, definitely once you have a business, it can be a real vehicle for doing good in the world and um, I just want to keep on growing that. I love that. And it's so clear that you're really living that purpose and then extending that to help others. Yeah. Something um, something I do want to say about purpose is I didn't really know this for a long time, but um, yeah, I think you guys were saying before that it's not, it's not as cool as people think it is. It's not like it's super fun and you're, you know, doing TEDx talks and you're flying around the world. You certain, I've certainly had moments where I've been able to fly around the world and go to conferences and, um, and be in really interesting meetings and be working in the field. 
but they're little pockets and it's similar to social media, how people can share 2% of their lives and the rest is, you know, not super glamorous, not super fun. I work behind a computer screen, um, doing running ads, going to meetings, talking to clients, writing strategies. And you can find so much beauty in that as well. Um, and beauty in the simplicity. Now that I've stopped traveling, I've been able to really get into such a flow with work and start to really enjoy the work and start to enjoy things like accounting and um, talking to my lawyer and learning about how the entire process works. And yeah, just not, not thinking that passion and purpose equals just this like incredible high flyer life. It's usually pretty, looks pretty boring from the outside, but it's your thing. It's your, it's your, it's your path and it's what you're supposed to be doing. So don't get distracted by what other people are doing because you're the only one that can write that story really. Yeah. I love that. I think, you know, a lot of what we've even talked about today, I mean, what I've learned so far is how important it is to get out of your bubble and even that's by forcing yourself to, you know, get out of home, to go overseas, to, you know, start having a conversation with someone you don't know or, you know, actively that you've just seen across the street. Getting just outside of your comfort zone is really important and even from you is how important white space is, you know, so to have time out from the world to, I guess, just sit and think and learn a little bit more about you so that what you're actually interested in kind of just finds you as opposed to you, you know, trying to force something out of you that's just not there because you're not in the right headspace and how important really like your headspace and mindset is. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're talking about purpose and passion, all of those things come down to whether you're in the right moment to actually even appreciate the journey of what it is that you're doing rather than being focused on just the long-term goal you know you don't want to get to a stage where you're just trying to reach this goal and once you've hit the goal you know where do you go from next you know it's fine for that goal to continue to evolve over time but if you can enjoy that in the moment that's going to just set you apart in the long term. It's so I love that. Yeah, it's so funny. I was I'm quite an unlikely entrepreneur because I mean, before lockdown, I was partying a lot, going out, hungover on Monday, waking yeah, young up people late. Yeah. yeah, wake waking. I would never wake up at 5 a.m. And I was just I knew I had potential, but I just didn't know how to stop, <laughs> you know, this lifestyle that's, it's so, it's such a massive force. You're always like, someone's like, oh, do you want to go out? And you think, okay, cool. And I was really stuck in a rut in terms of thinking like, oh, I had to go out because all my friends were out or I had to, you know, go to this random event that I didn't even want to go to that much just because everyone else was going. And that whole everyone else doing things, FOMO, um, that was a, bigger force in my life than my business, which sucks, but it's really common, I think. Yeah. But when I, when I had this time just to completely focus on myself and have lockdown and um, everything sort of the dust settled a little bit, I noticed what was important and I started to get into a routine that was my own routine. I didn't look at those morning routine, people waking up at 5 a.m. doing a hundred sit-ups and a hundred push-ups. And I used to think, oh my gosh, I have to do that if I want to get be successful. And I wake up at 5 a.m. and I just want to kill myself. <laughs> so then now my 
morning routine is very flowy. It's like I wake up and my routine is you have to get outside and get a coffee and move your body. So that that's sort of regimented, but not really at all. Um, I don't like, I love change. I love risk. I love movement and spontaneity. So if I can sort of fit that into my day, that's when I feel the most alive and happy. And a lot of people, they don't see or acknowledge that as a proper routine, but a lot of people, to a lot of people that is. Um, and I'd say for the people that are, you know, like to have fun, like to go out and don't like a structured life, there's there's options out there for you, especially with the online world. <laughs> this is party is laughing because this is literally me. And oh, she's, I love it. <laughs> and I, and I, you've had to find something that works for you, right? And I think just because you don't fit into that mold, like for some people, like you need, and I, I appreciate that you just need some kind of, routine also just to give you the space then to be creative within those lines but something that is predictable so your mind can then focus on other things in the background is the most important if I'm if you literally see me awake at 5am it's because I haven't gone to bed yet (laughs) (laughs) I think you've just got to find and and it's all coming down to like don't don't say on the whole idea of what everyone else is doing. So mm. whatever those hustlers are doing or they've written about and that's the most famous thing, therefore I have to be like that. It's like mm. spending the time to find what's important for you and, and what do you need and mm. then that I feel like has been the real crux of what we're hearing today and when you do that then what is an extension of you then is that purpose, is that passion and is truly you and the world really needs more so much more of that because for people to just kind of not do that, I, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Um, but I think it's having the courage a little bit and sometimes that does help when you've got a few people in that we've obviously connected with yourself as well, Mia, that it, like that too. And you're like, oh, it's okay if I don't like the fighting. <laughs> yeah, like you need to be in a good mood when you're doing business. You can't be in a crappy mood and talking to clients and Every time you start your moment, your your morning, and you're in a great mood, you just had chilled, you chilled out, you've looked at the ocean, you've done things that make you happy, not done things that make a 40 year old hustler who's into Bitcoin happy. And you're just in a great mood. You go into your day, and then things happen, deals happen, you know, strategies come to life, social media campaigns flourish. But when you're in a really bad mood, you've woken up at 5 a.m. and you're like drinking a disgusting green smoothie thinking like, what is this? It's not going to work for you. So, um, yeah, do what makes you happy in your in your life and, and in your work and, and everything. Yeah, there's like this whole idea that if you're having fun, then you're not being productive. But it's so not true. Work is fun. It's exciting. And, um, yeah, people should sort of make it more fun too and so you know talking back I guess then to your younger self is what would you do differently or is there anything that you would do differently oh I love this oh my youngest self was like hella confident so I don't know I feel like she would have just been like I would like to have her come do some things from time to time um but my main thing was, and I think a lot of even being a woman as well, I found it really hard to ask for professional help. I used to go into these like mentor meetings and just be so awkward. I'd almost feel like I needed to like help my mentor when they were nah. trying to help me. And I just, it always fell flat. Honestly, I still don't have a, like a one-on-one mentor, um, but it would always fall flat in terms of, I'd be like, 
um, okay, what should I do here? And then I wouldn't even listen to their advice. I'd be like, that's wrong. <laughs> like, this is what I would do. So I think um, I would find a networking group like when I was 20, just join it and just meet like-minded professionals. Even if I was in a corporate job and if I didn't even need to network, I would just go hear other people's stories, learn other people's things, and also realize that things like YouTube and uh, podcasts, that's mentorship as well. Like that's not just because you're watching someone give a awesome talk doesn't mean that that can't mentor you too. So I was always very cautious and nervous about mentoring and um, and I was like, oh my God, I don't want to ask anyone. But now I look now I look back on that and I just think I could have easily just gone into a group, hung out with them, surrounded myself with a bunch of interesting people, made that part of my like, you know, week or fortnight or whatever. And it would have been so easy. I would have gone, I would have like reduced all of that, <laughs> that awkwardness of sitting, having a coffee with someone being like, what should I do here? And then they tell you, and then you're like, ah, oh, no, it's not really relevant. Um, so yeah, making it a bit more of an organic, natural experience than having to like, you know, find my guru. Yeah. Yes. I'm hearing actually the importance of confidence, you know, and I do question whether that's something that gets, you know, worn down over the years when you're in a job, whether, you know, your confidence does decrease and why maybe that is why it's so important to have other people around you, not necessarily validating your idea, but going, yeah, what you're working on is incredible. I'd really love for you to flesh that out more, just to learn more, to give you that sense of encouragement to continue to go down that path. Yeah, and I think it's also, it's really that when you talk about confidence, I love the fact that you said, you know, I was confident when I was young. Mm. And I think that I, I have had some where it's actually the unlearning because you kind of step mm. into this big, brave world and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. But you can keep that and go, I'm confident and I'll figure the rest of it out. The, the mentoring thing I think is, is really interesting because you you kind of, when you're corporate, you kind of go, if I'm working with someone who's, you know, more senior, I want to make sure that I'm like serving them or serving what they need. And so you've got to, I think that's really about being true and there's different ways that you can do that. We've covered so much and I'm really keen to just make sure, Mia, if, if people want to know more about what you do, want to find out more about your upcoming grants or just want to follow you to learn more, what's the best way that they can connect? Yeah, so best thing to do is go to my website. It's www.oneearthmarketing.com or you can find me on LinkedIn, which is Mia Boya because uh, social media people are always doing social media for other people's channels. When it comes to my own social media, I just don't even touch it now. So (laughs) it's best to just message me on LinkedIn or email me and I'll definitely get back to you. Um, But yeah, I would encourage anyone who wants to know more about Uh, social media or all the opportunities or even wants to um yeah I've even got a few open roles at the moment too um welcome to reach out to me and we can have a chat I just find it fascinating and yeah if you have certain causes that you think oh my gosh this needs more attention how can we do it happy to chat about that too amazing again thank you so much Mia for joining us and we're really keen to hear so much more about the causes you're working on and how you're really making an impact on the world For those listening, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We've really appreciated you tuning in. Make sure you leave us that five-star review and and what you'd like to really hear more on as we build through the season two. Um, And that's it for today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening.